Hello, and welcome to the Cycling Central Podcast. I'm Philip Gomes, and uh, we're going to be covering the TDF uh, as uh, as usual. The next uh, the next few stages, the remaining stages, actually, after the first uh, first couple, we're going to be looking at the uh, two hundred twenty three point four kilometer third stage, uh, which uh, the peloton actually spent a little bit of time trolling us uh, last night. Didn't really decide to do any work until the last say twenty five kilometers. Anthony, what was your take? On that. Oh, by the way, we're here. This is Anthony Tan. Hello. We're also here with Jamie Finch-Penninger. G'day. Hello. I just thought I'd say hello for you too. Thank you, Anthony. You're very considerate. <laughs> and uh, your take on the on the stage? Uh, well, Phil, yeah, they the peloton obviously didn't show too much deference to the Australian television audience who had to stay up to about, I think it was five to two last <laughs> night. So, but... You could say it was worth it because this really is now the renewal of Cavendish. Uh, you, we can no longer say that that first stage was a fluke. I don't think anyone would have said that, but now he's definitively back. And once you're on this type of role, it almost feels that he's going to tick all his boxes for the, for the remainder of the season. Everything just felt so far like he, the goals that he was trying to do. Too many goals, and now it just feels like he's, he's going to do it. Um, Jamie, so what we had uh, what we had was Cav obviously winning the stage. Uh, Andre Greipel second, Branko Card third, uh, Peter Sagan fourth. So he was in the in the game. Edward Tunes uh, from Trek uh, Sigafredo. Uh, he seems to be up there a fair bit. Uh, and then of course the usual uh, some of the other usual suspects like Marcel Kittel who finished seventh, and Alexander Kristoff uh, who finished eleventh. Um, it's got to be a bit of a surprise to these to some of these other guys that Cavs come out so good. Why? Well, I think the same reason all of us were a bit surprised at the start of the tour that he was winning because he does have that split objective and he is trying to marry up two quite different um, efforts so close together in the tour in the Olympics. I think I think everyone did underestimate Cavendish a bit, and you know they're possibly regretting it now. But at the same time, you've got to concentrate on your own effort. And from what I've seen, guys like Christoph. And Kittel, they're, they're just not quite looking the same as they have been in past seasons, I think. Um, and certainly maybe even earlier this season for, for some of them. Well, the, the, the excuses I've, I've seen, well, I wouldn't call them excuses, but the explanations from each were Kittel said uh, they let out a little bit too early. Greipel uh, said he had, select, he had picked a wrong gear. The gear was actually too big for that finish. And Kristoff said that the stage was actually not hard enough, right? So maybe he needs a hard early part of a stage uh, and a good fast finish, maybe that suits him better. So it's it can be very complex, very technical in some some instances for the sprinters. Yeah, I would say that Kittel, uh, the finish last night, stage three, did not suit him. It was slightly uphill. You needed to turn a very a gear over very quickly. Cavendish has been training exactly for that. That's why he said this could all go swimmingly well or could go down the gurgler because... But I think he's always had the... Endurance, because once you've done that many tours de France, you're not going to lose that. Um, Stuart O'Grady mentioned he was just doing two hours of motor pacing each day leading up to the Tour de France, the way he trains. Um, and then with uh, Greipel, these are heavier set guys. They don't do so well. You know, when Jamie and I were talking yesterday, we said that Cavanish and Brian Cockar were the type of guys who could do uh, well on this type of finish and it's only slightly uphill but it does make a, a difference especially after 220 kilometers 
Yeah, it wasn't a proper 220 kilometres, though, was it, guys? It was a bit of a bunch ride up until, you know, as as Phil was saying, the last 25 kilometres to go with uh, poor old Armindo Fonseca out the front there from Fortuna Vital Concept, getting them some good press at least. But we, we had a we had a little bit of a, at least a, a little bit of um, a respite from that with uh, Thomas Volkler, who, as you all know, I love. I think people love his tongue, the housewives of France. Like his, like tongue, his tongue, yeah, the wagging, right. yeah. The, the wagging dog of France. Yeah, he d- he did say he just did it because he needed to to kind of shake things up and to just have a little bit of a lark because the way the stage was going was just kind of absurd, really. Thirty three kilometers an hour was the average speed for the first four hours. Now I can ride thirty three kilometers an hour for four hours. I can probably do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I think you could just get carried along um, in the bunch and. Unfortunately, Phil, I think I'm predicting more of the same tonight because we've got a 237.5-kilometre stage from Samoa to Limoges with one categorised climber, Cat 4, nothing to speak about, 1.2 kilometres. Yeah. Sort of so, um, yeah, expect another sprint finish. Yeah, so what did uh, what did you do during this long hiatus? As uh, as Kevin Eddy, one of our... One of our um, Editors for the website uh, here in the mornings, is, as he put it, it was the unintentional rest day of the Tour de France. What did you do? Oh, you can do a whole lot of stuff. I, I'm uh, cooking for my parents tonight, so I was trying to think of a recipe. I think I'll just do pumpkin soup. All it's right. easy. I mean, yeah. a bit. I, don't, I just need to pace myself. As Jamie said, you need to ration yourself in, throughout this tour, yeah. just as the... Cyclists need to ration their energy, so do I. What, what did you do? Did you read a book, War and Peace, uh, anything like that, uh, Jamie? No, no, I'm not a big Tolstoy fan. Um, I did, I did a bit. But you of, knew I'll, who he was. Just, uh, <laughs> I, I was similar to Tony actually, working on working on my recipe. I was just doing a slow cooking um, beef bourguignon, and you know, getting a bit of the France out at the same time as watching the cycling, kind of on in the background. Yeah, well, you know, Sagan said he was, you know, he was hoping they'd be able to stop at a cafe. At, at some point during the stage, he, he so he could have done that. Probably, yeah. So he was, the, he's kind of right there the with you guys. Housewives would have jumped all over him in that mane of hair that he has, and the man bun. Yeah, that magnificent. <laughs> yeah. Well, Matt, Matt Heyman was um, talking about how he's taking an, a natural rest stop, and uh, people were trying to take selfies with him at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, maybe maybe you want to rethink your stopping plans. Uh, oh, where you stop anyway? Yeah, mm, that's yeah. right. You don't want to stop where the caravans are. No, you, but you do need to go when you need to go. To go. That, yeah. This is true. This is true. So other than, other than the finish and, and that, that nice long hiatus uh, between the start and the finish, were there any other takeaways out of this stage or were you just going to sit here for the next 10 minutes uh, contemplating uh, time and space? I'll, I'll give you one. Okay, um, go. Mark Renshaw did a very good lead out by doing absolutely nothing. Um, when Greg Henderson went into the final... 300 metres, probably even a bit closer, 200, 250 metres. He pulled off and Renshaw saw that he had Greipel on his wheel and just went, no, nah, not doing a thing, pulled off and Greipel had to lead out the sprint. And given the margin of victory, that probably gave Cavendish the win by, you know, Renshaw just not turning a, a pedal in it pedal in anger in the finish. A lot of people would have said, you know, maybe it's my turn to go for the sprint today, but no, he's selfless in that way. Yeah, I mean, Renshaw really, when you look at the way he conducts himself he really masterminds a sprint he's always looking underneath his his arm and making checking that Cavendish is there he he says he never doubts his 
not there, but he, he checks anyway. And um, Edvald Wassenhagen did such a good final kilometre. And the the objective, according to Renshaw, was to get on the back wheel of Greipel because they knew they wanted him to lead out. They knew if he led out and Cab was on his back wheel, he could win. Um, the GC guys uh, obviously emerged uh, completely unscathed. Um, I guess they they only had to worry about making sure that the final twenty five k they were kind of out of out of trouble. Yeah, Birdie didn't crash. Woohoo! Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Richie didn't fly. Yeah, right. Um, what's been interesting, um, even after tonight, or even after last night's stage, is uh, some of the fallout from uh, from Ports um, Ports uh, uh, flat. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, a day later, are we are we looking at that 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 uh, a little bit differently? Uh, well, Richie said, "Don't." He didn't want to attribute blame to anyone in his team, but I noticed a lot of the social comments on Facebook on the Cycling Central Facebook page said quite the opposite. They said, well, surely he would have communicated that he had just flattered and it took an eternity for Burghardt to realise and to come back and then um, there was Moynar as well and then by the time that happened, the bunch had well gone. I mean, okay, it was a terrible wheel change as well. But this is what's going to happen when you don't... If you if you just had a teammate, it would have been a very fast wheel change. So you, you didn't need the the car there. So I, I actually do blame the team in part for not looking after Richie. I mean, surely he would have said something. And so the, the, the immediate reaction that we all had about that was effectively that ra- the Ports race was over. Uh, we're still holding to that? I don't believe Ports race is over. I believe his... His chances of winning the Tour de France are probably over, but, you know, he can win stages. He can come second or third on GC easily. I mean, we've seen in the past that these races are decided by minutes and he can easily be second or third. I don't think he can probably manage to give away a lead of almost two minutes to Chris Froome, you know, Alberto Contador and Nairo Quintana. Well, not Alberto, but uh, Nairo Quintana and Froome and, and still beat them, but... He can. He's still planning to race for, and it's not like he's injured or anything like Contador. Mm. So. And I, th- I think um, Jim o- Jim Oshowitz, uh, um, the BMC team boss, talked about that, and he said, "Well, you know, the advantage is at least he didn't lose time because it was a crash. So it's not like he's injured. It's he's still a hundred percent fit, and he's fitter than he's ever been coming into the tour. So yeah, I would say I'd sort of uh, disagree in part with Jamie. I'd probably say if Quintana and Froome are in the race and fit and haven't crashed, then the best Richie can hope for is third. But, you know, that's then discounting other guys like I know Nibali's riding for Aru, so we've got Aru and there's Van Garderen as well. So I think Richie will be doing very, very well just to finish top 10 I think it would be better for him to go for stages let's let's see how the first mountain the high mountain stage plays out but I, I think it could be better for him to go for stages yeah that um, would it in fact protect Van Garderen in a way in a way yeah that's right that's right um well where are we going with this it's uh you know three stages on we got stage four coming it's another flat stage um are we going to be are we predicting another Cavendish Victory? Well, I, I guess the the question you said there's a twofold question there because why why are we doing these 
back-to-back 200-kilometer-plus stages. But I think a lot of people are wondering, it's so boring because isn't the whole idea of Prudhomme's style now to do the short, sharp Dynamic, stage. yeah. But in fact, there's method to the madness is to reach the mountains as quickly as possible. And the only way, if you're going to start at the top in Normandy, the only way is to do these long stages. Otherwise, you won't get to the Pyrenees. But it doesn't make for good racing. It doesn't? No, no. I mean, what what can you do, though? I mean, the only way is to make maybe some of the mountain stages a bit longer. I mean, there's probably about four stages in this year's tour around mountain stages around that 150k mark so this is what happens i mean i've been banging on for years about you know having much shorter stages you know a road stage normal road stage sprint stage 175 kilometers so something we see say in in vuelta where we see shorter punchier stages overall i think it makes for better racing uh jamie yeah i mean the obvious problem with that is that you have to increase the transfers on the stages which is what the riders absolutely hate about um about the end of a stage you know getting on the bus for you know three or four hours after that and you know not getting quite the recovery that they wanted before the start of the next stage so that's the opposition you come up against there um yeah Yeah. i mean i mean you can't have cobbles maybe the solution is bigger buses Like they can sleep people and, you know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, the point, yeah, there's there's only really one transfer this year, isn't it? And that's after the the last mountain stage, the penultimate stage. So, yeah, this in effect really does make them do a Tour de France without hopping in the bus except for, you know, before and after the this, this stage. I, I, I don't mind it it's so much. It's more, I, I am sort of... Uh, intrigued more as to how what what's going through the head of Kittel. He, he everyone just said he's he's gonna kill smash it. Smash it, yeah. And uh you know what's what's the best place he's come, I think. Uh well second. Second second. But for him that's a loss. Yeah. That, that's that's the mentality. He's not even gonna sprint. count he's not gonna count no, that. No, no, no. And uh so yeah, I mean it's it's um I think it's really annoying them because Cavendish is really he's he's got so many objective you know with Rio with the Omniums I mean sorry yeah so uh, I I just think the other sprinters are thinking hang on a second this guy's trained for about eight weeks <laughs> for the tour yeah and they've been training sort of you know six months well maybe maybe this is something the other sprinters might want to look at in the in the future you know for four stages like this if you are a sprint specialist. Maybe you're coming into the Tour de France with more track work rather than road work. Well, we always spoke about those Aussie riders, didn't we? You know, when they did like O'Grady, McEwen, all these guys, Rogers, they all come from track pedigrees. And maybe Kittel, Greipel, these guys need to spend a bit of time on the track to work on their speed in their legs. Yeah, because, I mean, it's clearly it's clearly working for Cavendish. So, yeah, you don't have these really long you know, four kilometres straights anymore um, going to the tour on, on wide open roads. If, if it is a long straight like it was in the opening stage, it's very narrow. The roads are very narrow, so you need you still need speed. Um, and Dimension Data, the tour can't really get much better than this for them, can it, Jamie? Oh, well, they can. I mean, they can win some more stages. Steve Cummings, Daniel Tecklehammer, not, you know, Louis, um, no, he doesn't ride for them No, anymore. he's with Lampre Mer- Merida yeah, yeah, now, yeah. Louis Menches. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't actually say his name, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's a phenomenal climber, so, yeah. yeah, handy bike rider. 
Yeah, and uh, Edvard Bosenhagen, as, as Tanny said, he could win a stage. I mean, maybe maybe even today. I mean, if um, Mark Cavendish doesn't fancy the last little kick to the line, uh, 500 metres at about 5-odd percent, um, then it might be one for Edvard Bosenhagen to have a go at. So looking at the stage tonight, um, who else do we have in the mix? Well, it's really, it's just a sprint stage, Phil. But yeah, speaking of Bosenhagen, I'd probably say he's more suited to the medium mountain stage um, tomorrow. So this this will be, I won't say it will be a shake-up on GC, but I think you'll, you'll, you'll see at least the GC guys come to the fore a lot more than they have. On, on stage five? Yes, yeah. it goes to Le Lorient. Yeah. So, um, but this stage tonight, I mean, I don't think it will be a yawn because um, – Three three years ago, there was a stage in the 2013 tour to Saint Montrand where Froome lost a minute and nine seconds, and uh, Valverde went from second place and he lost six, uh, ten minutes that day. So watch the wind. Watch the wind. You've heard it here first, last. I think we're pretty much at the end of this one, aren't we? Yeah, let's let's go to lunch. You want to you want to do lunch? Yeah. More food? Yeah. Are you cooking? Yeah. Uh, no, no, we'll just go out for some uh, déjeuner. <laughs> um, just to give you a brief reminder of what's, uh, what uh, time we're on tonight, uh, it's 10 p.m. AEST on SBS and, of course, streaming online in the Skoda Tour Tracker. Uh, tune in, uh, fire up your laptops or your iPad and uh, hang out with us. We'll talk to you later.